G'day and welcome to the potty in which I connect with some of the most influential guests from across Australia and the globe to share their very inspirational stories. I was born with cystic fibrosis, a chronic illness in which I was told would most certainly ruin my life. But like many of the incredible humans that I have on this show, I'm on a mission to prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we choose to respond to them. I'm your host, the captain of the ship and the man in charge, Bradley J. Drybra, and this is a lot to talk about. Very excited to be here today with a fellow podcaster, someone who has hosted me on her show, an incredible episode it was, and I think someone who I've created a connection with post-interview in which we've been able to bounce very similar ideas on life and similar interests. And we have a shared passion, a passion in connecting with people through storytelling and conversation. She created a podcast called The Health Classes You Miss, which is all about teaching people the things about their health that are not only important and vital, but maybe that they've missed out on or had the op- not had the opportunity to learn and discover yet. So ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Monica Van Tilburg. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for that intro. That was so lovely. Uh, no, I'm very good and I'm very, very happy to be here. Um, as you said, you came on on my pod not too long ago and that was just an absolutely wonderful episode. And I feel the same that I left that and I'm, I'm sure anyone who's ever had a conversation with you, Brad, will say this, but I left that thinking, geez, what a guy, how inspirational, how bloody awesome. I want to be that guy's friend. So um, yeah, very happy to be here and chatting to you. Thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I love connecting with people through this source. You know, I think that's the beauty of podcasting is that I was only having this conversation with a mate the other day that, you know, funnily enough, sitting in front of a mic, it forces you to put your phone down and really engage in yes. conversation with people. And it becomes what, what seems to be hard to do these days in society. Like we're, we're so distracted and we're never actually as connected as we seem to think we are. And podcast really encourages that. Like it's a depth of conversation and a concentration in which you can really get to know someone and, and you know, what a weird way to get to know someone. It's such a modern thing, right? But it's <laughs> yep. incredible. And And the thing that always fascinates me with other podcasters is like, why you got into the space. So I guess that's a great way mm. to kick this off. Like the health classes you missed, incredible idea. Well before you and I met across the screen mm. for a podcast chat, I'd actually heard about your pod. I can't remember where, whether it was, it popped up in my Spotify, in my Spotify feed or recommended at some point, or um, someone had posted about it on social. But I remember just at first glance thinking, what a brilliant idea, because how often are we like, learning new things on the go as we experience them when it comes to health that we think oh, I wish I knew that a little while ago yeah <laughs> you know, so where did yep. it come oh my from? god I can't yeah I can't believe you uh you'd heard about it before that's so lovely it's um it's one of those things and I'm sure you feel that that forget people actually listen sometimes <laughs> like you're like oh sometimes it just feels like numbers behind the screen so it's really cool when people say you know I heard about you from from you know Spotify or whatever it is um yeah I love that uh, so getting into it, how I started, it's funny because I thought it's kind of random when I first started doing it. Um, and it was, it was something that I just kind of, I'm quite an impulsive person and I did just kind of 
think about it overnight. But originally with podcasts in general, I'd started actually recording a podcast many years ago now um, for a friend. And it wasn't anything that was ever going to be published necessarily, but uh, she wanted to be uh, an ambulance, like a paramedic or an ambulance driver or something within that. Um, and I'd done biology at uni um, for a couple subjects and she hadn't done any biology. She hadn't uh, done any kind of VCE or anything. So she was kind of just diving into it. And I thought, oh, I'll just make her a little resource and that'll help me because I can um, kind of learn from it as I go as well. So I started doing a little bit of that. And it wasn't until a few years later, I was on placement. So I'm a secondary school health teacher, um, which gives me the, the you know qualification to be able to talk about a bunch of this stuff. Um, and I was on placement and I went to Australian Catholic University, which obviously has a religious affiliation. So I ended up going to a lot of private or religious based schools, which was wonderful and everything was great. I had really good experiences, but I quickly realized that there was a few gaps, uh, particularly in health education. So uh, one particular instance was I created a drug unit for a particular class and I did the whole thing. This was during remote learning too. So it was a bit weird. It wasn't what I was used to. I created this entire booklet. I did all, you know, the questions and the PowerPoints and whatever else. And I showed uh, my mentor at the time and they said to me, oh, you know, I'd, I'd done it on uh, weed, cocaine, heroin, and then alcohol, I think, because they were the top three based on the statistics that we had at the time. And my mentor said, oh, we don't cover anything but alcohol. And I was just, I found myself a little bit frustrated. Not that it was their fault or anything, you know, it's not like they're kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't their decision necessarily, but I just kind of thought, what is the point in that? You know, we're teaching 15 year olds who, you know, some are younger than others. I get that. Um, but what's the point in acting like these other things don't exist? And this kind of, you know, sparked this thing in me. And I had asked all of my previous placements, you know, do you teach sex education? I actually had one person say yes. And then I'd asked someone else and they'd said no. So it was almost like this weird thing that I, I'm not sure because it's in the curriculum I'm not sure they wanted to tell me that they didn't teach it and I know that there's plenty of factors that influence this you know there's parents of course there's um, the religious side of things which I totally understand that aspect as well um, there's time as a teacher now I know that you know you only get 45 minutes a week to teach the full scope of health education and that is just nowhere near enough time and that's no one's fault you know we can't help that um so basically overnight, I kind of just came up with the health classes you missed. And I was like, I'm going to create a resource. Originally, it was for school age students, which it still very much is. But I found as time has gone on, um, more people my age, which I'm about 26 years old now. Um, so around my age are more the you know people that I am uh, getting in and who are listening to the pod and who are all saying, you know, we definitely missed out on this. And I think there is a such a movement now and a change in what we are teaching kids at school so there's definitely still still a way to go but there is a lot more education definitely where I am um, now as well but um, yeah that's kind of how it started it, it was kind of a frustration thing I guess where I just thought you know about this stuff I've always been pretty open and and passionate about being open not only about you know drug education sex education um, but also mental health and making sure we're we're talking about all of that in a really open way and people feel all right to ask questions or, you know, listen to something 
in private, you know, it's not like anyone knows if they're, if they're listening to an, an episode about STIs or about a particular drug, you know, and they can educate themselves in a space where maybe they do feel a little bit more comfortable as well. Cause I do know the classroom environment can be a little bit intimidating too, when you're around a lot of people and especially when kids are younger, you know, they're a little bit giggly and whatever else. And that's all, all a part of it too. But yeah, that's kind of, kind of the very long winded answer <laughs> to how, how it all started. No, I love it. Long-winded answers are more than accepted. <laughs> They're appreciated on this podcast. And yeah. I, I can relate because I think as a, I remember being 12 when we first started having sex education classes at a Christian school I went to yeah. for my whole life. And there's this level of awkwardness where as a 12 year old boy who, you know, you don't want to put your hand up and ask a question because you're like, no, am I going to be judged <laughs> no. for that question? Are my mates going to take yeah. the piss out of me for that question? It's such a weird time in your schooling life to start to learn about these things. And, and at the time we didn't have podcasts or well, not that I was aware of, and we definitely didn't have podcasts like your own that were educationally um, oriented towards teaching people about the things that quite often we, we don't have access to at that time. But, but I often think that like, if you were learning a lot of these things in private, you'd feel comfortable to explore the ideas. You'd feel comfortable yeah. to, to ask questions of yourself and to do the research behind those questions. And most certainly you'd feel far more comfortable if you had the resources to understand the facts. And I just think it's very interesting. You know, you mentioned that you went to um, the Australian Catholic university, was it? Yeah. What, what was it? So did you have like a religious background and then that was a choice or? Not at all. It literally was just, so I didn't even start doing a teaching degree. I got into a public health degree originally. Um, and then I decided I wanted to do teaching a semester later. I just wasn't loving the public health side of things. Um, and so, yeah, that, I just kind of transferred over. It wasn't any uh, particular reason. I see it was a great university. It's, it's, yeah, it's awesome. I think for teaching and nursing in particular, it's really, really strong. Um, yeah, so it, that was just very random. It, it wasn't anything that I, I mean, I technically chose it, but um, yeah, just kind of fell into it there. It's, it's quite interesting when you speak about your first prac opportunities being in religious schools, because as someone, I went to a religious school, um, not for particularly religious reasons, but as a young kid with cystic fibrosis who took tablets every day, um, to be honest, the school that I went to was like the first school that was open in accepting me um, to be able to go and have lunch with my mates and take my tablets in front of other kids. Like a lot of the yeah. other schools wanted me to sit in a staff room. And so my parents didn't oh, wow. want that kind of like school upbringing for me. So they were like, this school, it's bloody expensive, but it sounds like a, a far better <laughs> experience. And so my yeah. sister and I went to the same school our whole lives, but I definitely realized like as someone who wasn't super religious, I realized that a lot of the the ways that things were taught in school were taught with a faith element and you can kind of understand that. But at the same point, I often, I often questioned whether that maybe got in the way of the, the information that was being delivered, because I think that like, it's, it's yeah. weird that it's weird that the curriculum is taught in different ways at different schools. Have you had that experience as a teacher? Yeah. So, I mean, it is hard because technically you're not supposed to be able to pick and choose what you put into the curriculum like the curriculum's there for a reason and that's what you're supposed to follow um as I said there are lots of other factors that come into it parents are a big one parents maybe don't feel comfortable 
with their children learning certain things. Um, and I think personally, I obviously see a problem with that. I think that everyone should have the opportunity to learn about things uh, because I don't think that there's that whole thing of, you know, if they don't know, they're not going to do it sort of idea. And I just don't think that that's true at all, uh, particularly for, for kids and teenagers who maybe feel like they want to rebel or experiment with certain things. It's It's always been my kind of standpoint that it's better to be educated so you can make the right decision, right? Instead of mm. potentially making the wrong decision anyway, and then not knowing what to do if maybe something goes wrong. Um, but yeah, it is a tricky one. It's definitely a tricky one. I definitely know that there are schools that don't teach sex education at all. And I know that because I've asked my listeners in particular, and, you know, I've put plenty of polls up on Instagram asking if people had any kind of sex education or what their experiences were. Um, you know, I had even a message from someone the other day saying they separated us from the boys when we had to learn about periods and pregnancy. And they, this particular person thought that was really wrong. And, you know, I agree with that wholeheartedly as well. I think that those things are relevant to everyone and, and, you know, it, it should be taught to everyone and everyone should be aware of it. Um, but yeah, I think it, it does definitely depend on where you are because no school teaches exactly the same thing, exactly the same way. Um, so some people are bound to have a better education in certain areas than others. And that's just kind of how it is. And that's why I guess we might need resources like the pod so that, um, so that we can kind of bridge that gap and, and people do have access to information that's also, you know, I know you were talking about resources before and, and people going and doing their own research. I think a really important part of it is making sure particularly young people know where to look and know where is the right place to look because we know that to look for something like sex education is pornography, but we know that so often mm. that is where kids are going and that's where young people are going and that's there's you know I've done episodes on this and the the things that can occur as a result or the ideas that can be put into people's minds and not to say that sex work in the porn industry is all terrible that's that's not what you know what I'm trying to put across at all but I think that in terms of talking about consent and safe sex and all of those things it's not very common when we're looking at porn so I think um yeah making sure that kids have access and resources that are actually reliable and relevant and that's kind of what I try and include in all my episodes as well put further readings down in the show notes for everyone too just so you know there is that information if they do want to dive a bit a bit further yeah yeah I think it's a really interesting point um I will say that just as you mentioned it there it it was reminded of me that I remember like receiving all of this education separately to the girls at my school like it was a yeah. class for guys and a class for girls and so you kind of like it's almost like you have these these myths and theories that you pass around as guys. Like, how does that work for the girls when you're 12, 13 and you're trying to figure yeah. it out? It would just be so exactly. beneficial to learn it all together. And I think with that comes greater understanding, right? When you get to learn about each mm -hmm. other, not just yourself, because naturally as you get older, you have to learn all that stuff and understand it anyways. Exactly, um, exactly, yeah. I think a great point that you mentioned is this concept or theory or idea that maybe some of the more naive parents or teachers have that if they don't know about it they won't do it well the news flash of 2023 is they will know about everything because they have one of these magical devices in their phone that is spitting yep. every bit of information possible at them 
I've always wondered, I, I remember being, we might've even spoken about this on, on our podcast together on your platform that as a young man who was, you know, turning 16, heading towards that direction of 18, where a lot of mates are starting to, you know, get into the world of drinking and, and taking drugs. And, and as someone who was quite health focused or, or health conscious, having cystic fibrosis, I was never going to drink because I had liver disease and I was never interested in taking any form of drugs because I took 50 tablets a day. And yep. so for me, my health had become quite precious. I always, I always was really frustrated though, when seeing other people partake in that stuff, because I didn't understand why. And I guess now with more life experience and, and a little bit of hindsight, you understand that people come from different backgrounds and experiences and, and have different perspectives of their lived experience and their life and have, you know, all of the agency and making the decisions that they want to make. And I often have found now that, that for people to understand these things, they have to have their own experiences with them, but a lot of them have just lacked education on what that stuff can do long-term and the, yeah. I guess the negative side effects of what will happen because we tend mm -hmm. to immortalize things when we have discussions in our social circles, because we think it, it feels cool. It allows us to fit in a little bit more. And, and so these things are, often widely explored but not widely understood you know what do you think yeah. the biggest issues and challenges facing like the the understanding of drugs and alcohol and their effects are in society right now I mean drugs and alcohol and probably I would include vaping in there as well mm. I think that's a huge one now I think particularly with young people a big problem when they're not educated about these things is that they're going to end up or most people are going to end up in a situation where they're potentially going to have the option to drink underage or take drugs underage or vape, right? And if they don't know anything about it and all they have is their friends telling them, this is fun, I did this this time, I had fun, you feel this way, it was awesome or whatever else, right? That's all they've got. And so peer pressure and peer, I guess, acceptance you know, we know being a bit older now is the biggest thing. And even a bit older, like we don't even just have to be talking about teenagers. This can go well into people's 20s, right? And so if you don't know the other side of it, and like you said, the long-term effects and, and everything that can happen, I think people are probably more likely to partake in a little bit of risk-taking stuff because whether someone's rebelling or whether someone's just intrigued or you know, whatever the reason is, like you said, there's there's plenty of reasons why someone might decide to partake in, in something like drug taking or drinking alcohol or vaping. I do get what you mean in the greater sense that I look at, for me, the biggest challenge that people are going to face with drugs and alcohol is I think we're at the moment going through a societal mental health crisis where more mm -hmm. than ever, we have reports of people feeling lonely, disconnected, having um, challenges with depression or anxiety, these mental health related um, challenges in their life. And they're often seeking things like drugs and alcohol to mask the pain, to escape. And on the other side of those things is then the greater challenge with how your body responds to that. Like, yeah. you know, that like on the other side of taking cocaine, you have this you know, massive high when you take the drug, but then you have this massive low where the body is now all of a sudden craving a bit of dopamine and craving 
a little bit of something to pull it back. And, and that's why it becomes so addictive for people. It's the same with alcohol. It's such a depressant that on the other side of it, you never feel good. And, and I can't comment from personal experience here because I'm not having an experience with alcohol or drugs, but I've, I've spoken to many people through the podcast and through connections about this topic, because it fascinates me why it is such a pull and such a, I guess, such a go-to comfort for so many people. And they never report back positive things on the other side of it. And so I think without I that think, education, yeah. we're digging bigger holes for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something in Australia too is that it's such a big part of our social lives. And I think that is probably a massive thing as well. I know, like like you said, the mental health side of things definitely, um, especially coming off COVID, right? But I know in Melbourne, we were in lockdown for... I don't even remember now. I've, I think I've blocked it out of my memory, to be honest. But a ridiculous amount of time where we were isolated and we were alone and away from people. And, you know, if someone was feeling mentally unwell, that's probably, you know, that could have been an option for them. But also talking to some people, they found that there was nothing else to do. So they felt like they had to just drink alcohol every weekend in their house because there was nothing else to do. And that obviously can start a bit of a cycle and a bit of a habit um, coming out of all of that. But yeah, the social aspect of it is massive as well, because like tonight, you know, we've got the Matildas and the pubs are going to be absolutely pumping with people and you're likely to go out and have a drink. And then when people drink, we know they're more likely to take drugs. So it is and does kind of just become this this cycle and and I think I've spoken about this on my podcast with some people as well with particularly men you know there's this thing of going to the pub and gambling and drinking and that being something that's really socially accepted and that's okay if that's something you do every now and again or that's you know something that I would say you, you're not doing every single weekend but we talk about golf and like other activities like golf being a really good alternative to all of this because it's out in nature it's exercise you are still having a chat with your mates you're doing something that you enjoy um so I think I guess yeah it, it's interesting it is it's crazy how embedded I think it is into into our society and I think it is interesting that you know from your standpoint like you said as someone who has had to really prioritize their health just bloody stay alive watching on and kind of seeing other people and thinking why would you do that to yourself I mm. uh, yeah I'm I'm intrigued by that and we did actually like you said we did speak about it on on my podcast so <laughs> that is on there if anyone wants to there you go the memory was serving me well well I, yeah. I was speaking to a mate of mine just the other day who's a um a speaker as well and is doing some incredible stuff in in the speaking and keynote space actually you probably know Brett Kennelan he was on Dylan Friends oh yeah he was on Dylan Friends yeah and cool. um Brett and I were just having a conversation about um he'd done recently a I guess you'd call it a series of speaking events. And he, you know, had some exposure to some really interesting speakers and personalities. And he recalls listening to one guy and I'm going to forget this guy's name, but he was, um, he was an AFL player. Can't remember his name, but <laughs> apparently he was <laughs> fantastic and his career ended through injury. And after his yeah. career ended, he had some real challenges with his mental health and those challenges triggered responses in the first response it was gambling. And then he realized yeah. he had a problem with gambling and then it turned into, well, I'm going to quit gambling, but he replaced that vice with the vice of 
you know, drinking and then it was smoking and, and it was drugs. And there were all these challenges, I believe. And I hope I'm not getting this guy's story wrong. Um, so, so take this with a grain of salt, but it was sort of like one vice would be cut out and then replaced by another. And it came back to this initial challenge with mental health and how in yeah. understanding that he was able to free himself of these, these responses, these, these triggering responses. And I think that what I've identified as maybe one of the biggest catalysts for positive change in people who feel like they're struggling with these things is self-awareness, recognizing yeah. why you're choosing to partake in these things. And, and I seem to think even as someone who doesn't drink that I see plenty of mates or people around me who can partake in drinking in a very healthy way. They can go down mm. and have one beer or a couple of beers with a mate and, and know when it's time to say, well, I'm not going to feel good tomorrow if I keep going and, you know, I'm doing this for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons. And so self-awareness is this, this tricky tool to develop. But I think with understanding ourselves and asking ourselves really quality questions, we open ourselves up to make higher quality decisions. Absolutely. And I think that's such a big part of health education as well, is that emotional intelligence and understanding why you're feeling the way that you are, or even just being able to identify your emotions when they come up. And being able to sit with them and knowing that that's okay and it's something that you're not going to feel forever, that's a huge part of it now. And it is luckily a massive part of it now. That's um, that's kind of a, a focus for a lot of schools, which is really, really fantastic because I think back to that, I've always struggled to identify my emotions. And I think had I learned that at a, at a younger age, it would have been really, really beneficial. And I, I know that I'm, I'm not alone on that. Um, and yeah, it, it is interesting because I think you're right, like that AFL player, if you looked at a lot of people who maybe do struggle with these things, a lot, and I don't want to be general here, but I would assume a lot would come back to mental health as kind of the the main cause of it all. And I'm glad that in this day and age, I guess we have such a focus on mental health and it is a conversation that we're able to have really openly. And I, you know, I do an episode every fortnight called How's Your Head where we focus on mental health. And I, I think it's super, super important to be really open about it. I actually had similar kind of thing. Last year, I found that I was going out and drinking alcohol to a point that I wasn't happy with and it was becoming too frequent. And it was for no real reason that I thought at the time. And it got to the the New Year's Eve, this this just past year that's gone. And I ended up having a really terrible night because I just, I drank way too much and I ended up just not being able to enjoy the time that I should have been having with my friends. And I, the next couple of days afterwards, I was up at our beach house and I just remember feeling so flat because I care about New Year's, right? I know a lot of people will think, oh, it's just another day, but I really like to think of it as a bit of a reset. And I just felt like I totally wasted it. And I totally just, I didn't do what I wanted to do or, or started in the way that I wanted to start the year. And I was super down and super frustrated with myself. And then a few days later, I was thinking, geez, like this is how I've started my year. And so I kind of made a promise to myself this year that I would only drink an allocated amount of days of the year mm. and I would really you know try and limit how much I was going out and I would increase the amount of time I was going out and not drinking so I was being the designated driver and I was making sure that I was the person that 
was just going out sober and having a good time. And I've done really well with that. And it's been awesome. But I think I'm probably not alone in that either is that we get to a stage where it's like, why are we doing this? And why do we keep doing this? And not only now is it something that, you know, maybe that is a sign that there's something going on with your mental health, but the way it affects your mental health afterwards, like you said, once you've talked to your friends, that the, the few days after drinking is just, it's it doesn't feel good, right? You don't feel motivated mm. to do things and you don't feel like you want to get up and enjoy life. It's not, I think alcohol, just because it's legal, has been viewed as this thing that is so, so accepted to go out and just get really quite drunk or you know go out and, and dance and, and do that every weekend which I understand is so you know can be so fun but it it doesn't have to get to that point every time I think and it is kind of celebrated a little bit which I do think is changing like I think there's there's definitely been a movement of sobriety and and limiting alcohol intake and stuff now because people are realizing that like me it it just because it's something that's legal doesn't mean it's something that you have to go out and do just because your friends are going out or just because you're in that environment you know you can just have a good time without without alcohol and I think that's really important I want to touch on mental health I think what Mm. like it's such a big topic like when I think about mental health as you could spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks talking about all the areas in which this could affect or that we could touch on and, and I'm sure that people have so many different experiences with mental health It is so striking to me though, that with more conversation around mental health than ever, which I think is really important, I still feel like more people are struggling than ever. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Is that because we're able to identify it more now and we're having more conversations so it feels more present? Is it because we have more challenges that that we're struggling with and not handling mentally? But I think a big part of it for me, has to ha- has to come from the environment in which we exist in. Because I think about the COVID period, and I'm just t- touching on my personal experience here. Throughout the COVID period, we didn't suffer as challenging lockdowns as Melbourne did, being in Wollongong or just south of Sydney. But we were definitely locked down for long periods of time. Now, I thrived mentally in lockdown. I think because I had quite a sunny apartment, I was able to go out for a run, I had a couple of mates who, you know, we were training partners during that time and we'd go, you know, pair up and, and do a run together. And then you could get a takeaway coffee and walk down the beach for an hour. And I really thrived. I was, you know, stuck into my work. I loved my work and had the ability to to host the podcast from home. So I was having high quality conversations and connections. And I think that my environment become a product of of what I really made it. I do look though so many people who were challenged and struggled through that period. And I feel as though I thought I'd see a massive shift post COVID in, in the challenges of mental health where people felt freed up, but I I don't know that I can see that that's exactly happened. What are your thoughts Mm. on, on some of the things that are happening and challenging us with our mental health at the moment? It's interesting because I feel like I had a very similar experience to you. In Obviously, I was in Melbourne, so a little bit different in terms of just the weather, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think back to it and I was very like going for runs and I was probably the fittest I've ever been. But I was one of those people where my mental health has never been worse. I was in a in a ditch in COVID, I think. 
And I have definitely felt like I've gotten a lot better coming out of it. I think a massive part of that is resources and having resources. And I think during COVID, there was a lot more available. Um, I know that that things like therapy and, and psychologist appointments, it, it was still hard to get, but I think it's harder now. And I think that is a huge thing because we're having more conversations, but I don't think we've necessarily got enough resources for everyone who probably needs help. I think another thing is, I mean, so obvious and just such a big point of conversation at the moment is like cost of living and everything is just absolutely insane. House prices, rentals. I've got mates, like I'm very lucky I rent off family. So Stratos and I through COVID were, it's my partner, we were, you know, set and we've, we've, you know, been quite secure in, in where we've been living. And I'm so bloody grateful for that because I've got friends who were trying to get apartments for six months and trying to get houses for, you know, longer than that and having to put their parents as guarantors because they just couldn't get anything. And I think that causes so much stress for people. And I think working and working and still feeling like you can't or don't have enough money to pay for things is such a stressful thing. And it's almost like we had which I, I heard this on another podcast the other day because when we were in COVID we weren't spending so a lot of people did end up saving a lot of money we had the the government benefits people who were able to access those of course um and then we came out of it inflation hit and all of a sudden we didn't have anything anymore and it just kind of there was this big shift and and I don't know I mean I'm I'm just assuming that maybe that's where some people's you know stress could come from I know that's definitely something that I've stressed about particularly now I made a big decision this year to go part-time in my career um to kind of pursue the podcast and and be a part of the studio here and everything and that was absolutely terrifying from a financial standpoint for sure and it's hard because you you're not really sure whether that's going to get easier either you know if that's if we're going to be in this forever another couple years or it's just going to be till the end of the year and then things are going to get a little bit easier in terms of you know houses and and whatever else and I think being in Melbourne in particular we've we've been hit really hard with with real estate and stuff in general and and rentals and nothing being available I know I know Sydney actually has has been much the same and it's yeah it's just for young people I think it's kind of like in your 20s the reality hits you that you're potentially not going to have the life that you thought you would have when you were younger. You're potentially not going to get to own a home. You're potentially not going to be able to travel everywhere and own a home. Like you probably had the goal of doing when you were 18, maybe, or, you know, looking at your parents and how they lived. And I, w I was speaking about this with a friend is that, you know, when you're a teenager, you kind of think, you think you've got responsibilities and then you get to kind of your early to mid to late twenties and you're like, Oh geez, it's actually, all coming down and I think we are in a really tricky time of life here after a pandemic like I don't people don't experience it like we have um and yeah I think it, it's hard but I don't know in terms of like connection and I think that has gotten better so I mean in my experience anyway so I mean I would hope that maybe people's mental health has been at, at least maybe if it's not getting better they're able to talk about it a bit more and maybe that's why we we see a, a few more kind of 
people around who are open about it and who are maybe more open about struggling maybe that's a good thing because we're talking about it um I don't know yeah it's it's a bloody it's a tricky one it's it's a very interesting and in-depth topic and my mind changes on it all the time like yeah because personally I've been very lucky at this point in my life to have never struggled with depression I've had which I've been speaking about a little bit lately and an experience with um, what I'd identify as anxiety and some challenges with that over the course of the last couple months, just which were some related to a new working environment I stepped into, which wasn't right for me. And, and I pulled the pin on, but I think that like you made a comment there that we're, we seem to be more connected than ever. And on the surface, I believe that that looks to be the case. Like we have more ways than ever to connect with people. Like I think about the fact that you can pick up your phone and FaceTime a mate. Like I live a state away from my dad now who I lived with for years and years and years and is like one of my best mates. And I get to speak to him on FaceTime twice a day. I speak to my mom on FaceTime twice a day and my sister every day. Like we're, we can be so connected, but yet we're at a period in time in which one in three people are reporting that they're lonely. Yeah. And so I, I'm wondering like what the cause of that is and why we have such a drift in what seems to be the case on the surface, but what people are reporting to experience. And and a big part of it, I think, is we have this issue with comparison as a society right now. I was about to say social media, probably. <laughs> I reckon it's the one of the biggest, biggest challenges. Well, because yeah. if you, you know, there's that old saying that comparison is a thief of joy. And I'm telling you that has to be bang on because mm. it seems to be the case that whilst we're more connected and we get to see what happens within the lives of other people more consistently than ever, we compare to those people. And then we compare yeah. to, well, mum and dad bought a house when they were 20 and I'm 27 and I'm nowhere close to buying a house, which means mm -hmm. that I'm in an inferior position, but no, life has just changed. The reality of the financial circumstances we exist in has changed. And so I think that as a society, we really struggle with comparison. And we struggle yeah, with the acceptance that this is where we are now and we have to move forward. And on that note, I think we talk about mental health and the challenges that we're facing um, as a generation of, you know, 20 to 30 year olds, or maybe some of the people listening are, are younger or older and experiencing these things and coming to terms with the fact that the reality is different to what it used to be in the nineties or in the eighties when their parents were making some of these decisions and leaps in their life. I think that we need to talk about some of the interventions in which we can learn to accept where we're at and move forward in a really positive way. So what are some of the things that you've identified through your teaching, your learning, your personal experiences in which have had a positive effect on your mental clarity and your ability to build mental resilience and, and thrive? A massive one, which this is a lot of people aren't going to like this, but and it's so obvious, but limiting your time on social media and also choosing who you follow really, Can I, can I stop you for one second here? Yeah. So my partner Sophie's come home from the gym and she's trying to be quiet. And I've just noticed <laughs> her from the corner of my eye crawling along the ground so she's not in the camera. Oh, my room. God. Hilarious, but I just had to so stop good. you there. Um, sorry, that Karen. is so funny. I did see your eyes do this. And I, I was like, like what did <laughs> She wouldn't have been in the camera if she just walked past it. So hilarious. That's so good. <laughs> Hello, darling. Um, sorry, ca carry on, Mon. Carry on. Oh, uh, sorry. Well, the question was about mental health. Let me just 
as I said, what are some of the interventions that you've seen to positively accept where you're, where we're at in society and, and move forward with mental resilience and mental clarity? Yeah. So I think one of the most obvious and one of the most annoying to hear, but something that we really drive home at school a lot. And that's something that I really make sure I include in my health classes, which sounds a little bit funny, right? But uh, is really limiting your time on social media or if you can't, and I understand when you can't, because you'll know in a job where you have to be on your phone a lot and have to be up to date with things, really making sure that you choose who you follow wisely. I can't under, not underestimate, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't understate how important that is. And I know that it's one of those things that we hear and we're like, oh, we don't want to do that because we're all addicted to our phones. We're all addicted to TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is. And I think once you realize that sometimes it gets past the point of inspiration and it moves towards you sitting there thinking, oh, damn, I wish I had that. Even that one thought is enough to put all the gratitude to to the side and make you only think about the things that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And on that note, and again, this is one of those things that is so oversaid, but it's oversaid for a reason, right, is gratitude and just focusing on a couple of things that you are really bloody grateful for. And it doesn't have to be journaling. I'm really bad. I'm one of those people I can't sit down and journal. It takes me so long to open a book and get out a pen and it shouldn't, but it does. Every day that I have my, one of my classes, we do a gratitude circle and the like kids that. at the start were like, this is so embarrassing. Like, why do we have to do this? And I put the prompt on the board and we talk about whatever it is. So it'll be, you know, what's something you can do for your mental health this week? What, person are you grateful for today you know there's a million different prompts and now I come into class and sometimes if I forget to write it on the board before they come in they're like oh my god miss are we doing the gratitude circle yeah of course we are but they actually look forward to it now and it even starts some of them being like you know I'm grateful for this person because they really helped me out when this happened and then the friend's like oh no worries mate and then it's just starting this little you know conversation between them about how much they enjoy each other and are grateful for each other and I just think that is so special and something that is so easy but we don't necessarily all do and when I say easy like I said it's sometimes it's hard to open up a journal and get out a pen but even if you notice something in the day and just you just sit there and go this this is exactly you know what I love and and this is who I want to be with or I have found that throughout the year when I've really enjoyed my time here at the studio and this is before I was working here I kept going oh my god I would love to work here and this is I just really want to take in this moment now because this is so wonderful and I'm having so much fun here and this is awesome the thing I think is very overlooked which I have definitely felt this being a bit busier now is spending time outside and in nature and away a good you know pair these two up get off your phone and going outside even exercising outside there are so many proven benefits that it's I mean, exercise anywhere is good for you, right? You're going to get the endorphins. But out in nature, the fresh air, being in nature in general is so bloody good for you. And to really prioritize making sure you get outside is so bloody important. So important. I have found that I've been training for a marathon. You've uh, you've inspired me a lot there. We talk about that in the episode that you did um, on my podcast. And um 
run on a treadmill in the morning compared to getting out and, and running on the bike track is is insane. It's it's the same exercise, right? But the feeling that you get is so different and it does push you, you know, to even be a little bit more social. You're running past people. You're saying, hey, you're getting that connection. You're listening to the birds. You're doing whatever else um, while you're running or while you're exercising, while you're bloody doing burpees in the park, whatever it is that, that you enjoy. And The benefits of not only, where am I going with this? Sorry, I am so, I'm stuck on my words today. Are you right? I do do get it though. I'll jump in here and I'll say that I've experienced this personally. And I think it's a really good point to, to connect on what you're saying is through the course of the last month, which um, will be a, a little in the past for the people who are listening to this by the time it comes out, but I'd been working 38 hours a week. So Monday to Friday, nine to five in an office setting. It's the first time in three and a half years. You know, there was a little period in 2021 through COVID in which I'd done some work in the office for three months, but it's the first time that I've, I've stepped inside an office every day, Monday to Friday for a consistent period of time. And I found it really challenging because I'm so used to getting more natural light. I'm so used to having mm. more space and an area to breathe and being able to step outside when I needed to and go for a 10 minute walk and grab a coffee and come home and just feel like I had a, that bit of sunlight and, and fresh air for that matter. And so I found that throughout that month, it was really hard for me to go to the gym and train because all I craved in the morning was a run down the beach at sunrise. And I think Andrew yeah. Huberman, who I consume a lot of Andrew Huberman's content, and he talks about the the benefits for our physiology of just being out and seeing that yellow light as the sun's, you know, rising through the sky and what that does to release things like adenosine in our body and wake us up and, and lift our spirits and give us that, that dopamine, that serotonin release. And for me, that become more important than ever. And, mm. you know, we live just near the beach in Wollongong and it's it's a busy spot in the morning. There's people exercising from, you know, five thirty, six o'clock onwards. And often so for my mates will say that like I'm the mayor of Wollongong because I run past everyone and it's always g'day, how you doing? And I'm like, yeah, it's impossible not to so feel nice. good when you have that interaction. Like yeah, it, it really exactly. lifts my spirits. And so I think that, mm-hmm. you know, engaging in community, and that doesn't mean that you have to sit down and have a coffee with everyone in your space, but being out in the natural light and engaging with the world is a really, really good way to start the day. And no matter how cloudy it is, I don't think that you can be mad about a sunset or a sunrise. No. It makes you feel yeah. good. So it's, you know, I think nature, yeah. we're hardwired to appreciate nature. I was going to say that there is a reason that it makes us feel so good and everyone gets so excited like about looking at the sky something so simple but when there's colors or even just just the sun setting obviously somewhere near a beach it's beautiful but yeah it's it's a part of us as human beings that we're supposed to be outside where we're supposed to be out in nature we're supposed to be doing those things and I know that obviously we've progressed to a point where we are working in offices a lot and where we're inside a lot and we're under artificial light all the time and that's going to have an impact on the way that you feel and your motivation. Like you said, you didn't feel like going to the gym, maybe. Maybe I, I think you're probably not a good example because you're a very motivated person. <laughs> but I know that um, my partner in particular and I were talking 
and I've been spending a lot of time indoors. I think I'm, I'm lucky in my job as a PE teacher that we do spend a lot of time outside as well. But when you spend all day in an office, um, like, like I have today, you just crave getting out there and I sometimes get home and go oh I'm just I feel sluggish and tired and I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that whereas when you've got a day where maybe you've had a bit of that sunlight you've you've sorted out what does um human talk about a lot of your circadian rhythm yeah and making sure that your phone's not the first thing you look at it's it's actually getting natural light and and um you know stepping outside and having a look at that first I think that's that's been a real big goal of mine this year too, which I'm not perfect. I definitely still get up and check my phone first thing sometimes, depending on the day. But that's a really good tip too, is just getting up and, and making sure you do something else and, and get off it and get out. And I guess when you asked me about interventions as well, I guess from a from a medical standpoint or um, talking about the resources that we've got, utilizing and making sure you do take advantage of the healthcare system that we've got here, I think is super, super important. I've talked to countless people who have said, you know, I'd love to go get a, see a psychologist and go get a mental health plan, but you know, then maybe they just don't know how, or they're, they're not really sure about how to go about it. And again, that's when education comes into it and a bit of that health literacy on how to actually use the services that we've got. A lot of people also have the mindset that they're not deserving of it which I think is really, really hard because everyone is deserving of it. And if you feel like that's something that you need, then you need it and you you should go and, and get the help and the, you know, whatever you need in that, in that situation. Um, so I think that's a big one is those services are there for us and whether or not, you know, they're not, they're not perfect, but I think making sure that people understand that you don't have to be at rock bottom to use them and you don't need to be at rock bottom to go see a, a therapist in, or a, a psychologist or whatever it is. Um, and as well, like you said, there's that community aspect of things that, that makes people feel like they belong and brings about a sense of belonging in people. Joining sport or being involved in some kind of community sport, whether it's a running club, whether it's a netball sport, sport netball team whether it's you know footy is such a massive thing I know rugby where where you are getting involved in something like that is not only beneficial for your physical health but so bloody good for your mental health as well I've been I've been talking to one of my classes about this recently we talk about the dimensions of health we're focusing on you know social mental and physical and how they interrelate and how we can uh we can show that in our own lives <clears throat> pardon me um Thing that we've talked about is community sport because they say oh well I go to footy so I'm working out then I also go and see all my friends and then I get the dopamine hit from the exercise but then I also feel good because I'm having a chat with my mates and we'll talk about how it all connects and it does and it's yeah it's really important I think to be a part of something and if you don't know you know look it up look it up look up you know netball in my area maybe if you're a little bit nervous find a friend, go together. Um, I can say firsthand as someone who has been in a million different bloody sporting teams and sporting clubs and here, there and everywhere, they're all welcoming. No one's ever going to look at someone new coming to a space like that and say, nah, you're not, you're not welcome here. The point of these, they only work if people are involved, you know? So I mm. think, yeah, that's another massive thing that I would or that I try to really promote is being a part of a community in one way or another like that. 
I spoke to recently John Kerwin, former All Black Rugby World Cup winner, and John has quite a a fascinating mental health story in which he's experienced really heavy depression and anxiety himself um, through his playing career and often felt like he couldn't voice it because it's quite taboo to talk about in the 80s, um, not only as a man, but as a rugby player professionally. He thought it would damage his career. And, yeah. you know, John's, you know, doing really well now and has recovered from a lot of this stuff and is, you know, a really incredible advocate of mental health. And one of the things we spoke about with the interventions that have worked for him and and he has a company groove that he set up or an organization, I should say, in which, you know, arms people with knowledge on mental health. And, and he said that one of the things he's identified with these interventions is it really helps in our busy lives where we can kill two birds with one stone. So he's like, you know, for me, yeah. playing touch footy with mates is not only good for my health and for my endorphins, which I know is going to help me mentally, but it's also social connection. I get to take the piss out mm-hmm. of my mates. We get to have a laugh. We get to have a chat. He said, like, I get to kill two birds with one stone whilst looking after the rig, you know? So I think that's a really, really incredible point you made about joining team sports. I also think the other thing that's really important for people to remember is you don't always find the answer at the first point of call. Oh, no way. No way. People go to one psychologist and go, ah, that didn't work. (laughs) I'm like, you don't get fit from one workout. You know, you Mm. don't get healthy, healthy from eating chicken, rice and broccoli once. Like it's (laughs) it's a consistent effort. And I think it's often like when we're in pain or feel as though we're suffering at the hands of something, you're looking for the easiest answer. But I think any intervention doesn't come with ease. It comes with consistency and, and a level of challenge. And, and I think you have to remind yourself that you're worth it. Absolutely. Having good mental health, good physical health, feeling as though you're in a space where you can exist in a really happy, meaningful and fulfilled place is worth the effort that is entailed in, in getting through the challenges in your life. And yeah, I think it's such an important topic to educate on. I guess I want to head into a little bit of a sidestep here into another area. You touched on it a little bit before, but a lot of the content that you do is around sexual health, mm-hmm. such a taboo topic for for young people because often they're scared to ask the questions about it particularly one thing that you touched on is a lot of people go to pornography for health education or sexual health education which presents many challenges I guess as a yeah now I'm 27 I've got a partner in a longer term relationship my views on all of this has changed I think as a really young man you think is there anything really damaging about this you know there's kind of like a reason why you're going there and it's, you know, it's got nothing to do with delayed gratification, but rather you, you want to get that dopamine hit immediately. I think though, looking back with hindsight, you learn that there are challenges that come with consuming that kind of content. The challenge being is you have false expectations for a lot of young, I think, especially young men. I think it can be really challenging for young men to watch, to watch porn and to watch, the the sex work industry unfold because you come with these expectations for how this is this is how this is supposed to look this is mm-hmm. what this situation looks like this is what a healthy sexual relationship looks like and with that you have all of this misinformation that actually doesn't convert to healthy real life sexual relationships yeah what what do you think the the education on porn needs to look like because i don't ever remember being educated on porn through sex ed yeah 
That's interesting, isn't it? I honestly don't think that was ever covered during my sex education at school either. Um, and like, and I had quite a good comprehensive sex ed when I was at school, which is surprising for back, kind of back in the day. That makes me sound bloody old, but you know, nearly ten years ago now. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like you said, I think young men are definitely more affected we know that men watch porn more than women that's not to say that women don't watch porn but um there's also a big theme in pornography particularly heterosexual pornography where there is a dominance factor and like you said that can set people up to have expectations that aren't necessarily real life and i read um would have been a few months ago now but the sex education you've never had or something like that by Chantal Otten she's a sexologist she's wonderful she's really really great for resources and stuff so if if anyone listening is is wanting to follow a page or I'm sure they've heard of her before she's awesome um she writes in her book that pornography is entertainment not education so it is performative and that's something that young people probably don't all understand right that it's not real and it doesn't necessarily depict what their sexual experiences are going to be and that can be really troubling because there is that aspect of aggression and violence in a lot of these videos as well um, which means that potentially someone's going to go into a situation and think that they can do something like choke someone without their consent and then that brings about a you know a whole range of other other problems and it, it can become a really serious situation from there um and so that's kind of just just one aspect of it but I think making sure that young people understand that and understand that it's not real life and these people are essentially actors in what they're doing and they are professionals in their work that they're doing and it it is something that should be viewed for pleasure only not for or not only but not for education you know you're not looking at that to to then just go ahead and and take into your sexual experiences because consent is a lot of the time like I talked about at the start not shown um you know as well as safe sex practices um condom use or any other kind of you know contraception or any like that's not spoken about or talked about in porn and um yeah that's you know kids might look at that and be like oh well they're not using a condom but that girl didn't get pregnant and you know I can do this or that person did that to that person so that must be okay and it's it's not the case it's not real life so I think that's probably just the message that needs to be you know but there was a, a big controversy recently about the book welcome to sex did you see or hear anything about that well, I, I didn't but i seen something on your instagram about it explain that to me yeah so i put up a post about it because it was really bloody interesting the conversation around this book that um yumi steins and there was a, a doctor involved as well i know yumi steins name because she's a little bit more kind of of a, a personality um but there was a doctor who wrote it alongside her She's got a few books. She's got like Welcome to Period, Welcome to Sex, Welcome to Boobs, I think is one of them as well. Um, But all really great resources, right, for young people. Now, age of the uh, exposure, there's kind of differing statistics here. But I think the the main one we saw was about 11, um, which means that kids are looking at it younger than this. And also, obviously, some kids are going to be looking at it older than this as well. But there was all this 
talk of people being like, this book is disgusting. It needs to be taken off the shelves. Big W actually had to remove it from shelves. They kept it online, but they had to remove it from the shelves because workers were being abused and it was becoming unsafe, which is just absolutely insane to think about. And the commentary around this book was just, it was crazy to me because I was looking at that going three clicks on a phone and you can find absolutely whatever you want, whatever you want. You know, it doesn't like any kind of pornography, any naked photo, there's stuff on bloody YouTube. It's, it doesn't matter what platform you're on or how safe search kids phone. If they want to find something online, they will be able to find it. And that's unfortunately the world that we live in today with the internet. And that's something that, you know, is always going to be a constant battle, I think. And I would so, so, so much rather a young person get their education from a book that is super educational, is backed up by evidence and science than going and watching pornography and just thinking this is how it's supposed to be. And so I guess, I don't know, I found that really crazy um, just with a lot of the the commentary around it and how shocked people were. And I think that there is kind of that bubble that people are like, kids don't look at that stuff. And I, they, we know from the statistics that they absolutely do and maybe not everyone and that's fine and I'm you know not saying that every single person needs to go and pick up this book for their their child it's going to be relevant and ready for them when they're ready for it but I think making sure that porn is not the first thing that kids turn to and having a resource like this book is super important well I would say that I was a pretty innocent kid, but let me tell you, my 11 year old brain was very curious and you find what you want to find when you're a kid and you've got access to the internet. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, that's fine. You shouldn't like, there should be no shame around it either, which is a big thing that I try and preach is it's okay to be curious. It's not, there's no problem with that. You know, it's not necessarily meaning that people are acting on things. It's just that you, you're wondering, and that's a very natural part of growing up. Well, I think that. The only problem is without the proper education, you don't know how to interpret it. And so that's, yep. that's the disappointing thing hearing that story. I didn't realize that, um, you know, I'd heard controversy about this book, but hadn't looked much further than that. And I think it's, it's really interesting that we're, we're taking educational content off shelves to cater to the, the few who nag and will always nag because they won't ever be happy with anything. Um, and they think that their children yep. can exist in a bubble, but mm. I think that like as you said, it, it has to be considered as entertainment. I think that's an incredible point from Chantel Otten that it's almost as though pornography is to sex education what Love Island would be to marriage counselling or relationship counselling. <laughs> yes. you, know, you, you can't take so that good. as, gossip, as yep. gospel. <laughs> and so I think it's really interesting that, you know, I've heard a lot of, I haven't read anything particularly on this topic, but um, Chris Williamson, Modern Wisdom Podcast, is a guy that I consume a lot of his content and he's spoken a lot about the the damaging factors of pornography for particularly young men and the fact that it it creates expectations in relationships that can be really damaging um it also creates opportunities for comparison which aren't healthy and i think it, it you know there's a movie that was made maybe five or, or more years ago now that i remember coming across on netflix called dear john not dear yeah. Was it Dear John? It's a Dear John with, um, is that Channing Tatum? Okay, that is Dear John. It's another movie. It was, some, <laughs> it was something John. It was something yep. John. And um, it was played <laughs> It was played by handsome looking cat that 
looks far younger than he is. He's in Inception. He's one of the co-stars. You might know who I'm talking about. I was about to be like Leo, but no, not if he's no, a it's not Leo. He's one know. of the co-stars. I forget his name. Um, many people know who I'm talking about. But the movie is essentially about a guy who is is quite a handsome cat, has lots of lots of interest from um, the the opposite sex, and often has these girlfriends and these relationships or these sexual connections that never last because he's never satisfied with the real life sex and he finds himself far more interested in porn because it's yeah. been designed to entertain you in a way that induces dopamine and induces this level of excitement in which you get addicted to. And so he can never have a healthy real life relationship because he's addicted to this false expectation of what it's supposed to look and feel like. And so mm. I think that's the challenge for people. It's, you know, the, some of the statistics I've been hearing is that like, I'm going to butcher this, but something like a rising level every year, but something like 30% of men in 2022 reported that they were sexless throughout the course of the entire year. Now, of course, there'll be yeah. different, um, uh, like I said, I might be butchering that statistic, but it was alar an alarming number and it was increasing on years of prior and there's going to be different reasons behind that. Some will be um, religious reasons where people have chosen to partake in celibacy. There'll be um, health related reasons to that, I'm sure. But I think in a world in which we have all of these apps and these ways to connect um, with, with whoever you're interested in, and these opportunities seem to be um, more consistent and there and, and available than ever, we have to wonder why people aren't engaging in real life romantic or sexual relationships and I think a big part yeah. of that is because we have more exposure to dopamine inducing pornography than ever mm. and so it's too easy to access it's yeah and and it's Sorry, kind of risk free that. no it's fine it's kind of risk free right because you don't mm. have to go through the the challenge of engaging with someone and there's like that awkwardness in the initial intimacy and and the challenge of like oh maybe it doesn't work out you know, and, and does that cost outweigh what could be if it does? And so I think people are retreating from real life connection and engaging in digital connection that isn't real. And I think that's yeah. the challenge. And what we mentioned far earlier in the pod about um, when we spoke about drinking and drugs and having self-awareness, I think that's something that we really need to lean on. If that's, if that's something mm -hmm. that you think, if you're listening to this, well, maybe I'm like disconnecting with real intimacy and connecting far more with digital intimacy, maybe self-awareness is, is an area in which you have to then display and, and take that question on board of like, why am I doing this? And, and why have I become addicted to this? Because I think that, you know, we should be encouraging real life connection and, and safe, healthy connection. I think it's so good for us as human beings to be connecting with people in real life and, and encouraging and, and working on really healthy real relationships because it's so important to who we are yeah absolutely and yeah that it that's so true like you said people listening may be thinking or you know that sounds like me or that's you know something that's coming and interfering with either you know your work your relationships whatever it is through my research that was the biggest thing it was like if it starts to interfere pornography with any aspect of your life 
whether that's because you choose to, you know, not go out to meet people because you'd rather stay home and there's this easy access for you, whether it's costing you financially, maybe you're paying, you know, we've got this, this thing called OnlyFans now, which is, you know, an interesting one too, because it's become uh, a lot of women in particular have been able to uh, become a lot more, have a lot more autonomy over their career in the sex industry, which I think is awesome. That's probably a whole other conversation, but that could be something as well. If someone's spending a whole chunk of their money on porn or on looking at other people, or maybe it's interfering with work or, you know, maybe it is interfering with someone's sex life to the point where they actually cannot partake in, in sex or sexual intercourse without looking at pornography first all of those things come into play and there's all you know if it, if it affects any one of these things it's a problem and it's something that like you said people need self-awareness around and they need to to think about and I guess that's probably because this is such a, an intimate subject and it's something that people don't necessarily share with each other self-awareness mm. is crucial because there's this is not really going to be one of those cases where someone else is seeing it in you is it you know like we can we can see mental health we can see um you know if someone's deciding not to go to work or we can see if someone's not exercising or you know they're not turning up to training whatever else it is but you can't you can't really see this so I guess this as a as a problem for people is is definitely something that they need to recognize themselves and, and be able to sort through and look there's heaps of um support as well there's lots of support out there for people who do maybe feel like they have an addiction to pornography or to sex or to any of those things so make sure that you you utilize that as well because it's definitely something that I, I'm sure people um experiencing it might think they're the only one experiencing it which is I, I know you know we all have that with whatever we're we're going through we always think we're the only ones with with the problem but um I can guarantee you there'd be so many more people than than people think going through something like that and there's support there and that's what it's there for and to make sure that people are aware of that and they know that they can go and, and get help if that's what they need they don't have to do it alone I guess is is really important even though it's a taboo subject like it doesn't it doesn't matter it's um yeah it's important to make sure like you said you've got healthy connections in life that is one of the most important things yeah, incredibly sad. I have to be a little bit self-indulgent for a moment and talk marathon training because that this yeah. stuff gets me excited. Talk to me about <laughs> the process of, you know, training for your first marathon. As I understand it, we will be approximately a month out from your first marathon when this pod drops, which is yeah. very much the pointy, the pointy end of the prep. Um, when did you decide and when did you actually commit to running your first marathon? And, and where yep. were you at, at the point of commitment? Like, where was your training at? What was your longest ever run? And I'd just be interested to hear. Yeah. So I've always loved running. I've run for a couple of years, definitely in the last few years, it was on and off. I played footy as well. Um, so the reason I decided to run the marathon was because I haven't been able to play footy. I actually got concussed a bunch of times. I ended up having a concussion expert on, he's a neuroscientist. His name is Dr. Alan Pierce, and he's absolutely wonderful in the space of uh, sport-related concussions. He's doing heaps. Um, and so he came on the pod and we had a discussion about it. Um, and he was just talking about the research and how it's so underfunded and there's not that much support. And I think that's because it's kind of a controversial topic, you know, 
there's that whole protect the players. There's how long they should be out. There's, you know, everything that just happened with Port Adelaide. I don't know if you keep up to date with that stuff in the AFL, but they didn't take one of the players off. They ended up getting fined about $100,000 for that, um, which, you know, he should have come off the ground. Like there's, and it's one of those things where, and Alan Pierce is really, really, on top of this as well, where he says it's not to make people scared to play contact sports, it's just to make them safer. And so we need research to do that, right? Because there's CTE, which is a, a brain disease that people can get from ongoing head trauma, um, which causes many, many problems. It's, you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people turn to suicide and CTE is only diagnosable post-mortem. So after someone dies and a lot of these sporting people or people who have been involved in things like NRL, NFL, AFL, um, they've been diagnosed post-mortem with CTE and, and their families will say they just weren't themselves in the last couple of years. And this has happened and there's all these different patterns that can occur, um, which is really scary. And so I'd had a couple of concussions. I'd had three, um, two, one after the other at the end of the season last year, which meant I couldn't play finals. I went, I played two games this year and I just didn't feel right. I was just like, this isn't for me now. Um, and I thought, what else can I do? Because I am a goal-driven person. I need something. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to, you know, be here, there and everywhere. And I thought, all right, I'm going to run a marathon. That was probably April this year. And so I decided I, I had some uh, contacts at Concussion Legacy Foundation Australia. And I said, what can I do? Um, how do we donate? Blah, blah, blah. And they said, here you go. Let's set you up a page. So they set me up a page. And um, so there's a donation page there um, to donate and uh, yeah, raise some money for the Concussion Legacy Foundation, which I think is really important. Alan said in the podcast that it costs them about, without donations of brains, it costs about $5,000 per brain, which is hectic. That's a lot of money for, you know, one, one brain. Um, you know, without people actually saying that they'll give their brain to science and to research. So that was kind of the idea around it there. My training is going well. I'm a part of a running club that I go to every Tuesday night, which I just absolutely love. I have, you know, I wasn't going, which I should have been. And so I've kicked myself up the butt recently and I've been going again. And it's just going back to that like community based stuff. I am Eastern Masters, so that means generally it's people over 30 years old. I'm only 26, so I'm one of the youngest there. There's probably two or three of us that are probably late 20s, early 30s. There's some people there that are running still and they're 75. And it's just, oh, wow. it's absolutely insane, you know, and everyone's there. They're different ages. They're all, everyone's just there to run and to have this community and to work together and to push each other. And it's all volunteer-based and it's just it's awesome. So I've been doing that, which has been fantastic. I've also done a, a run with Knox Roadrunners, which is another group that uh, run out in my area who are awesome. They do a longer run on a Saturday morning. So I'll go to my second session this Saturday with them. Um, and same thing, it's all set up, all volunteer based. And um, that's really, really awesome to be a part of as well. You kind of forget that you're running that far when you're running with the group too, I think. Like you, I did 27 and a half on my first one with them. And I went, geez, that was a lot easier than running by myself. So um, that's a good hot tip. Run with someone else that you can have a chat to so that uh, so that the time goes a little bit quicker. But to be honest, I'm a little bit terrified. I'm just like, as long as I can finish it, I'm good. 
I've run a half marathon before and um, like naturally I feel pretty good in my running. It's probably the best kind of exercise for me. It's my most comfortable, I would say, but it's still bloody hard. And 42 kilometers is, I mean, you know, a bloody long way. So I, I think I'm just going to, the aim for the first one is just to get it done. But yeah, it's been really cool. It's been great to to try and get some donations for CLF and yeah, hopefully we can get a bit of money for them, at least enough to to get them a brain, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a funny it's a funny old activity running because it's one of those things that I'm sure you can attest to that there are days in which you think today was my day. I feel incredible. Mm-hmm. Every step felt nice. It was enjoyable. It was fun. And there are days in which you think, I feel like an amateur again. Like I'm starting yep. from scratch today. I felt tired. My heart rate was through the roof. And I've probably- It's not fair, is it? <laughs> it's, it's very inconsistent. I've probably experienced that this prep. Like I've gone from, you know, I, I ran Melbourne Marathon last year in October. And that was by far probably my my best ever like distance run. I felt- yeah. Not that not that I felt incredible in the lead up. I had some Achilles issues, but on the day I woke up, I felt great. Um, I, I suddenly had a, an air of confidence. I think I lifted with the crowd. I was solo the whole way with no headphones, and like oh. loved every minute of it. Crazy talk. <laughs> well, I just, I just, I think it was one of those days where I was like, I was on, but I'd experienced yeah. two marathons before that where shit hit the fan at, at every possible opportunity. It's long distance running is such an unforgiving sport. And, um, it's, it's a very humbling reminder at, at times that this shit is hard, that, that that's where you, you grow and, and learn from it. And I guess a, a touching story for you that will relate to what you're speaking about with that running group you go to on a Tuesday evening as a, yeah. a lady that lives locally here, her name's Barb and Barb, I'm not sure how old Barb is, but, um, she's, she's an elderly woman. She looks far younger than she is. Cause I remember yeah. she's told me her age before, but one of the people that really inspired me when I started running in 2020 was Barb because I would be running and I'd see her much older than I am. And she, every morning was jogging, cycling or swimming. And I was like, okay. I remember stopping her one day and just saying, how do you bloody do it? And she goes, let me tell you, young man, if you stop, you die. <laughs> And, and like, <laughs> I see her running every day and like, it's people like that that really inspire me. I think I've, I've had the challenge of, and I'm not sure whether you'd relate to this or not, but I've had the challenge of almost identifying a little bit too much with a guy that has to do like extreme things in comparison to where my health is at, <clears throat> excuse me, where, you know, I was the guy who ran a marathon with bleeding lungs. So then I've got to keep backing it up and do bigger stuff and more challenging stuff. And and I've kind yeah. of gotten to a place over the last three years where I'm like, I really like exercise because it makes me feel good. Not because mm. I have to do crazy things all the time. Like I don't have to be David Coggins. I think it's great to test yourself and like to test your discipline, but it's not how I need to like, that's not what needs to motivate or drive my training. I'll just want to like, as I get older, move really well, feel better, you know, continue to, to do things that are positive for my health. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I think that is a, a good point. You either kind of get the bug or you don't. I've I've heard with marathons. I feel like personally, someone asked me the other day, are you going to do another one after this? And I was like, bloody hell, let me get through the first one. But 
I think I'll stick to uh to the shorter distances after this, the old the old ten k and the half marathon, which but by all means are not short, but no. shorter than the forty two for sure. I love that about Barb. Awesome, she sounds like a legend. She's a legend. It's, um, she it's was always a good team. runner back in the day. Yes, yeah, that's these people that that train us for for Eastern as well. They they've all just they've done so much and they've just achieved so much and all they want to do now is is get a group together so that they can help help us be better runners and and help us you know achieve our goals and and run all the marathons and there's people that are like going over to Chicago and have done Boston and are doing London and oh my god it's insane but it's obviously so inspiring and again I guess that's that thing of we talked about that at the start as well we're coming full circle with a few of these things um but you know your environment and who you surround yourself with and and how positive these kind of interactions can make you feel it's um yeah really good so that's definitely that makes training easier so if anyone's bloody running maybe you've never run before or you you are training for a marathon or whatever else maybe it's both um find try and find a a group to go with because it's yeah a group in everything just makes it a little bit easier i think being around people that that sense of belonging it's yeah it's really good Teamwork makes the dream work, hey? Oh, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We love the sayings. That's, yeah, it's great. Well, speaking of teamwork, we are fast approaching the Tilly's semi-final game, which we're very excited oh. for. So yes, it's 20 minutes. Like 20 minutes, we're getting very close. So it feels like an incredible time to wrap this up and, and thank you very much for your time. I want to make sure, though, that everywhere that the audience can find you and engage with the really important work you're doing is in the show notes. But if you could give us the in-person spiel, where are the best places to connect with you and come and find you, not only your show, but you put up a lot of really educational content on Instagram as well. So lead us in the right direction. Yes, sure. So the podcast is the health classes you miss. So it's got a nice little mango logo. It's pretty easy to spot when you search it up, Um, but that's available everywhere, everywhere you get your podcasts. And then look, I'd like to say I've got more socials going than just my Instagram, but I'm pretty slack with the other ones. So my Instagram is the main place that I, that I do post a lot of my educational stuff. And I I love doing that. Lots of videos, um, you know, lots of, uh, what would what would I call them? Graphics with with info on them as well. I love to create a bunch of stuff. Canva's my best friend in that sense, but that's just the health classes you missed on Instagram as well. I do have TikTok. I think it's THCYM podcast. I would have to fact check that, but to be honest, not as uh, I, after hearing you say your TikTok's going well, I feel like I should get on that a little bit more, but um, not as. I guess involved on TikTok, but maybe one of those social media sites I'm trying to stay off a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Instagram is definitely the the place to go. And then yeah, where wherever you find your podcast, you can definitely uh, find the health classes you missed there. Well, I love what you're doing. I love following on with the marathon prep. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time, Mon. Um, I really encourage anyone to go ahead and and support the pod, support what you're doing, and. Looking forward to hopefully connecting face to face very soon down there in the in the producing studio in Melbourne. Yes, yes, we are waiting for you to come back down. Can't wait to have you. Um, definitely excited for that. It'll be it'll be great to hang out. And thank you so much for having me. I uh, I hope people got something out of this episode. I hope it it brought some uh something, some knowledge, some wisdom maybe from you, probably more than from me. But uh, yeah, I love what you're doing too. This is awesome. You are just a great conversationalist. You you know what to say and you, you're a deep thinker. It's great to great to have a good chat. So thank you.
Much gratitude. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.